Bullying is not like other forms of aggression. It involves a particular kind of harm, and it's aimed at creating a kind of helplessness, an inability to act and stand up for yourself. Being bullied can have far-reaching effects on your self-esteem, your self-confidence, your performance in school, even your interactions with others. And all of us experience it at one time or another. But when you're young and in the middle of it, it can seem like an unending nightmare. It's such an important topic. And so today, it's my pleasure to be talking to a leading international bullying expert, the Emeritus Professor of Psychology at Goldsmiths University of London, Peter K. Smith, about his book, Understanding School Bullying, Its Nature and Prevention Strategies. This book brings together a wealth of insights gathered over more than 25 years of study, as well as offering some effective ways of dealing with bullying. You're listening to Pod Academy. My name's Craig Barfoot. Peter Smith, thank you very much for talking to me today. Well, it's a pleasure to discuss the book with you. The world of children at times can be, it's going to be really distant and separate to the adult world. So how do you go about accurately building a picture of their world uh, to actually be able to study it and measure and find out about bullying? Right. Well, of course, we've all got our own memories of childhood, and it can be very vivid. I've got some vivid memories. In fact, I give a few of them in the opening part of the book. Uh, although things have changed, too. I mean, when I was a child, we didn't have cyberbullying, obviously. We didn't have mobile phones and the Internet. How we find out about these things? Well, we ask young people themselves in various ways. It can be through questionnaires, usually anonymous questionnaires, so that they feel more comfortable, perhaps, about revealing things that have happened to them. Or we might be using interviews, focus groups, if we want to get sort of differing opinions from different children and young people. Um, and observations too sometimes. So there's a variety of methods really to find out about school bullying. Mm, in terms of rates of bullying, and at the start of your book, you sort of go through quite a few different studies and, and the results do vary a little bit as to how, how many st- uh, young people report bullying. Do you have a kind of a rough ballpark figure that you work with? Well, my rough ballpark figure would be something like 10% of victims and 5% of children who are involved in bullying others. It's very much a ballpark figure because what figures you get depends very much on how you measure bullying and what your cutoff points are. You know, do you have to be bullied um, once a week to count it or is once a month or even once every six months enough to count as being bullied? Um, what, are we, what time frame are we looking at? Are we looking at the last term, the last year? Have you ever been bullied? You know, depending on these sorts of criteria and ways of measuring, you get different sorts of figures. But I think if we took 10% as being those children who are rather often being bullied, then that's a reasonable ballpark figure. When, uh, when we're talking about bullies and bullying, are there definable trends or traits of what bullying is? Or is each individual case very different? Well, we've got a set of criteria, really, for saying what we mean by bullying. And it's certainly a form of aggressive behavior. It's intended to hurt someone else. But we have these two additional criteria, which is repetition and imbalance of power, which pretty widely accepted in the research community, not universally, but pretty widely accepted. In other words, it's not just a one-off event. It's something that's done repeatedly. And it's not an equal fight. It's not between two persons of equal strength or confidence. It's done by a more powerful person or a group of young people against someone. So it's difficult for the victim to defend themselves. And I think those are quite important. I mean, a one-off event 
need not be bullying because, you know, things happen occasionally. And if you say to someone, I didn't like that, don't do that again, and they don't do it again, I don't think you'd call that bullying. But if they keep doing it, yes, it is. And not being able to defend yourself well, which could be in terms of physical strength or it could be psychological strength, social status, any of these sorts of things, that's important too because just fights between equals, although we might not want lots of fights to be happening, you know, it, I think it's fair enough to say that's part of growing up, whereas being persecuted by people more powerful than you shouldn't be part of growing up. And how much is predictable? If you uh, have a bunch of children and you give them a range of tests. Could you ascertain who would likely be a bully and who could be a victim? Well, let's start off by saying that anyone can be a bully and anyone can be a victim. And indeed, early on in my book, I say I've been both, you know, <laughs> probably all of us have been both, or many of us at least have been both of these. But of course, some people are more vulnerable to being a victim or taking part in bullying others. And that's partly personality. I mean, if someone is shy and rather withdrawn, then they're going to be, or if they've got a disability, unfortunately, that makes them considerably more at risk of being uh, a victim. If someone is pretty assertive and perhaps not too empathic of others' feelings, they're not necessarily going to be a bully, but they're more likely perhaps to, to be a bully. So there are some of these sorts of personality factors that would predict it. Also, of course, what's going on in the family uh, and also what sort of peer group they're mixing in. And also the school factors and, you know, the whole range of factors, actually, which come into play when we look at the likelihood of getting involved. What is the relationship between parenting style and bullying? Well, as far as taking part in bullying others go, quite often, I think it's a matter of the sort of relationships that are occurring within the family context moving over into the peer group. We talked earlier about the difference between the adult world and the peer world, which is true, uh, but nevertheless, children will often take their sort of way of behaving in relationships from adults, from their parents, through to the peer group. Like, do you often conflict with each other? How do you resolve those conflicts? Do you try and take advantage of the other? Is physical force used a lot? Is verbal abuse used a lot? Also between siblings in the home as well. What sort of things are going on between siblings? And people have shown correspondences really between the kind of relationships in the home and the kind of relationships amongst the peer group at school and children themselves can state this too um, and then as far as being a victim goes one predictive factor is overprotective parenting uh, parents who really don't let their children have enough scope to uh, sort of argue and defend themselves and so on um, if they're mollycoddled a bit, if they're cotton-walled somewhat in the home environment, then they haven't perhaps developed those sorts of assertive skills that would stand them in good stead in the peer group. Because everyone's going to get the experience of someone trying to bully them from time to time. And part of the answer to this is how you cope with that. Do you cope with it in a socially uh, adept kind of way? Or do you sort of stumble and give in very easily to the bully and look submissive and so on? And a child who's been perhaps overprotected in the home and family environment may not be so good at those sorts of peer group coping strategies. Are physically abusive homes more likely to lead to children being bullies or victims? More likely to lead to children being bullies. But having said that, there's this category of children called bully victims, um, which are children who are seen by peers, perhaps by themselves as well, as being both a bully and a victim, 
or sometimes they're called aggressive victims or provocative victims, um, they often lack some social skills in getting on with others. But unlike the ordinary victim, they're not sort of submissive, they're rather aggressive about this and are seen as both bullying but also get picked on by others who dislike them. Now, the research rather strongly suggests that those children, the ones who are the bully victims, do rather often come from abusive homes, physical abuse, or it could be other kinds of abuse. And is there, is there an age where most of the bullying occurs? Well, that's a bit complicated. Probably it's peaking in early adolescence. That's what most of the research, I think, would suggest, uh, where status in the peer group is particularly important. We're thinking like, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 years of age, that sort of age group. Um, and they haven't perhaps yet developed as much as slightly older children, that sort of sense of compassion and empathy for others, which would inhibit one from bullying. Having said that, if you just rely on what children say themselves, you get very high figures from younger children. If you do a survey, you find rather high percentages of victims coming from, say, 8, 9, 10-year-olds. But that's probably because they've got a broader conception of what bullying is. They're mixing in ordinary fights, for example. Uh, they're not perhaps using those criteria of repetition and imbalance of power, which older children are more aware of. They're more aware of what bullying actually means. So you get these perhaps rather artificially inflated figures for younger children because of that. I'm interested, though, also in the difference you mentioned between boys and girls. What is the difference? Partly different types of bullying, and that's not surprising, really, but boys tend to use more physical forms of bullying. Girls tend to use more social exclusion and rumour spreading, more what we call relational forms of bullying. That's probably because physical strength is more important for boys' peer groups, whereas reputation... Uh, is more important and having close relationships is more important for girls' peer groups. As far as verbal bullying goes, which is the most frequent type, just calling nasty names and so on, that seems to be fairly comparable between boys and girls. Um, in terms of actual rates of bully and victim, on the whole, boys more often do bullying. As far as victim rates go, fairly similar between boys and girls. When we look at cyberbullying, it gets more complicated. Traditionally, boys have been more involved as bullies. Uh, but as far as cyberbullying goes, probably because girls are more involved in social networking and social network sites than boys are, and a lot of cyberbullying does take place on social networking sites now, that sort of gender difference in bullying seems to have lessened or even in some, some cases reversed. So boy, girls more involved in cyberbullying in quite a few studies. How has cyberbullying affected the school and children's environment in terms of now bullying being 24-7? Yeah, well, it's been a big factor, obviously, in the study of bullying and the experiences that young people have of bullying. And it's really grown over the last sort of six, seven, eight years as mobile phones and the Internet have become so pervasive. Um, we don't want to, I think, over-exaggerate the importance of cyberbullying because it's still less than what we now call traditional bullying. Traditional bullying being the sort of physical, verbal and rumour spreading social exclusion that we've mainly talked about up till now. And even though cyberbullying has increased, it's still perhaps about a third or a half of the rates of traditional bullying. So, Okay, why, why is that? Why? Well, <laughs> 
why not? You know, why would you expect it to be more, really? Well, I mean, if someone is bullying someone at school, I, I don't see why they would suddenly stop because school is over when they have the ability to be able to continually harass someone if, if they're being a bully. I'm, I'm interested to find out why they seem to be limiting that just to the school hours and not continuing that on afterwards. Well, it may depend on the motives, of course, for bullying. I think for many bullies, we can think of two main motives, perhaps. One is to display their strength to the peer group. They're showing that they're tough and they can beat someone else up, if you like, or put them down, might be put them down verbally or in some way like that. And that's best done in front of others in the school playground or something like that. If you're doing it by sending a text message or on, on a social networking site, it's not quite the same sort of display of power, really. Another motive for bullies might be to actually get some resources, get some money, take someone's lunch, something like this, you know, and again, that's something best done face to face. So the sort of conventional motives, if you like, for traditional bullying would be those kinds of things, which wouldn't be so much the case for cyberbullying. In fact, one of the motives for cyberbullying that's been suggested is it's, it's getting back, if you're a victim of traditional bullying, and you want to get back at the bullies, and you can't do it face to face because you're weaker than them or you're outnumbered, you can get revenge um, through cyberbullying. And, you know, it's, it's rather a complex picture about the motives for these two, but it, that, that might explain why most of the bullying still is, is of, of the traditional kind. And do we know in terms of the actual outcomes, the psychological results of uh, cyberbullying as opposed to normal bullying, just this change that where you left the school and you left the bullying, but now it's sort of, it could be 24 hours. Do we know if that has affected kids in any way? Well, that's a matter of quite heated debate at the moment, I would say, really. Some studies suggest that... Um, Cyberbullying, it depends on the type of cyberbullying, by the way. Um, for example, what's called happy, has been called happy slapping, you know, which is where you, you film someone in an embarrassing situation and then circulate it around to lots of people. That, that has pretty nasty consequences. Whereas just sending a nasty text message or email, you know, something you can sort of more easily perhaps ignore or delete. So it does depend on the type of cyberbullying and, of course, the type of traditional bullying too. But generally speaking, some studies find that... Um, Cyberbullying is, has less of an impact than traditional bullying. Some find about the same. Some find cyberbullying has more impact. As you say, some aspects of cyberbullying suggest it will be worse. That's the 24-7 aspect. Sometimes the, the wide audience that could see the, the nasty pictures, the threatening um, messages on the social networking site or whatever it is. On the other hand, some young people have the sort of view that because cyberbullying is not real, it's virtual, they're able to ignore it in a way that they couldn't ignore being actually physically punched. So it also partly depends, I think, on the, the victim or the recipient them, themselves, whether they're able to sort of disconnect to some extent from virtual cyberbullying uh, or whether it affects them just as much as the real face-to-face -face bullying does. I'm hesitant to even touch on this subject because it's just such a, it's, it's well-plowed ground and there's um, a lot of toing and froing in, in terms of violence in the media. But I'll just touch on it with just maybe one question. Where do you stand in terms of the effects of media violence and bullying? Yes, it's part of the broader topic of media violence and aggression, of course. And as you say, it's a very well-trodden area. My feeling is that for most children, seeing violence on the media isn't going to have a great effect because they can contextualize it. Um, hopefully their parents have 
talk to them about this sort of thing, they know that violence happens in the world, and they, or, or if it's, you know, sometimes of course it's pretend violence, and they can contextualise it in that way. Having said that, there's probably a much smaller minority of children who are inclined to be violent, who are potential bullies perhaps, or maybe are, who are more likely to be affected by these kinds of violence in the media. They may take it as a model for their own behaviour. So I suspect for a smaller minority of children, there is this deleterious effect. What do you do if you're a parent and you suspect your child is actually is being a bully? If you think your child is being a bully, well, first thing to remember is quite a lot of people are going to get involved in bullying at some time or another. So don't think of it as being something so totally abnormal or dreadful. You know, it's, I hesitate to say it's part of normal life, but you know, it's, a lot of kids will get involved that way sometime or another. So just to calm down if you're sort of very worried about it. Secondly, obviously to talk to them about it, but initially in a non-judgmental way, just a fact-finding sort of thing. And then if it does seem that they are taking part in bullying someone else, to explore with them, you know, why are they doing this? Uh, how do they think that person is feeling? Surely this wouldn't be acceptable. How would you like it if it was happening to you? Um, at some point, obviously, one has to say this is not acceptable kind of behaviour. Um, and if this goes on, we'd have to talk to people at the school about it, something like that. So that would be the kind of approach, I think. What about teaching self-defence to children? Do you ever recommend that? Does that ever fit into the advice for children who are being bullied? Yeah, or for children who are at risk of being bullied, which is many children, of course. Well, I think... Being assertive is part of a good coping strategy, really. That doesn't mean being aggressive, but it means standing up for your rights. And there's lots of techniques available to help children and people generally be assertive and stand up for their rights in that way. Self-defense could be a component of that, of course. That's a more physical kind of response, and that that has its place, I think. But I think the more general uh, way forward would be teach assertiveness skills. Has the rate of bullying increased or decreased over the years? Well, that's an interesting question. And actually, as far as anyway, traditional bullying is concerned, which is still the major form, that's decreased in many countries over the past 10, 15, 20 years. Um, That's based on surveys, especially what are called the HSBC surveys, sorry, HBSC surveys, Health Behaviour in School-Aged Children which is done regularly in many countries across the world. It's a self-report inventory kind of survey. And I mean, the decreases aren't massive, but they're typically, say, down from 13 or 14% down to, say, 10 or 11%. Um, so some percentage points down over the last 10, 15 years, not in every country, but in most of them. And that's borne out by other smaller scale studies in particular places too. I mean, we've there are studies from the UK, for example, which similarly show this kind of decrease. They're part of HBSC, but also other studies have shown this too. I think that's to be actually expected and welcomed, obviously welcomed, but also expected because we've been working a lot on how to prevent or reduce school bullying over the last 15, 20 years. And it'd be a great shame and a great discouragement, really, if that wasn't having some kind of effect. And I think these sort of decreases suggest, yes, this is having some impact. We haven't eliminated bullying, and I don't think we ever will, but we've reduced it to some extent. We can do more. Cyberbullying is a more difficult case. 
Um, it hasn't shot up exponentially, but of course, obviously, it's increased in the last 10 years because of the spread of mobile phones and the internet. It wasn't there sort of 15 years ago, basically. Um, so that has increased. And maybe it's still on the rise a bit, although studies vary. Some suggest a sort of leveling off and some suggest that it's still going up a bit. You've been involved in, in working for, for many, many years in decreasing bullying in schools. What have you seen that's been effective? I don't think there's any single magic bullet, as it were, that's going to stop bullying in schools or reduce it dramatically. It's a combination of things. One is having a whole school approach to it. Um, in the UK, of course, or at least in England and Wales, all schools must have some kind of anti-bullying policy or behavior policy that includes an anti-bullying component by law. Um, but that, that in itself is a starter. But of course, you need to have a good policy, an effective one, and one that's implemented well. Uh, so a school climate where it's clear that bullying is taken seriously and everyone knows what to do when it happens. The teachers know how to act the pupils know who to report it to or how to help the victim. And those who are tempted to bully others know that there will be some consequences if they do it. Now, what will the consequences be? What will the teachers and so on do? That's still a matter of debate. Some schools take a more direct, if you like, punitive or sanction-based approach. There'll be a clear graduated set of sanctions to, to bring in if someone is found to have bullied someone else. Others use a more counselling-based approach um, where they try to talk more indirectly to the children who are doing the bullying and um, encourage them to be more empathic. For example, the support group method, used to be called the no-blame approach, encourages that. And then perhaps in between those two poles, there's what are called restorative approaches, which we found are now being used quite a lot in schools in England, where you talk the teacher talks to those involved uh, and basically says, look, this has been happening, this bullying has been happening, it's, not, it's against the school policy, this is not nice, but let's see what we can do to improve relationships. Let's try and restore relationships to the better place, um, which doesn't necessarily involve a negative sanction against the bully if they um, reform, if you like, if they decide to behave better and apologize to the victim and so on. So there's a range of approaches here, and we're still trying to find out which is most effective. And it maybe depends, too, on the general school ethos and the school population and so forth. If you're a parent and you think your child is being bullied, what's uh, the steps that you can take to try and help this? Right. If your child is being bullied or you think your child's being bullied, well, firstly, find out as much as you can, of course, about what's been going on. Gently but firmly try and find out the extent of this and how long it's been happening. Um, Keep notes too, or encourage your child to keep notes, because you might need this later on as sort of evidence when you're discussing this with teachers and others. Um, is it something the child can sort out on his or her own if it's you know not too serious and hasn't gone on too long? Maybe it's something he or she can sort out on their own or with the help of friends. For example, one of my sons got bullied at school when he was about eight or nine. Um, and we talked to him about it and we just said stay with your friends stay away from this child uh, which he did and it it worked you know he didn't get bullied anymore so if it, if it can be dealt with in that way that's fine but if it's something more serious if it's still going on then clearly one needs to talk to the school about this the teachers and the school 
consult what the, anti, the school anti-bullying policy is. They must have one if it's in England. Um, and you have a right to see it and look at what they say. Are they following those procedures? What's being done to help your child? Hopefully, again, that would normally sort things out if the school takes effective action. If the school isn't still taking effective action, you can perhaps go to the, the governing body and raise your concerns with them. The further steps one could take. But normally, the school should be able to sort it out. Do we know what happens to bullies when they, when they grow up? <laughs> Well, obviously, there's a you know, huge variety of pathways, but we do They know all end that... up uh, cleaning toilets, yeah? That's, that's, uh... <laughs> I think quite a lot, well, quite a lot will end up in criminal activities or aggressive, you know, be, being aggressive and violent in some way. If we're talking about those who've made a career of bullying at school, if you like, you know, not just the occasional bullying, but those who've been very consistently bullying throughout their school career, there's quite a strong link then to continuing that kind of behaviour in adulthood. So quite a few become get criminal convictions, in fact. According to one study, some of them also joined the police. <laughs> but no comment on that one. <laughs> I don't know if that's been replicated. <laughs> Peter, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Today, I have been talking to a leading international bullying expert, the Emeritus Professor of Psychology at Goldsmiths University of London, Peter K. Smith, about his book, Understanding School Bullying, Its Nature and Prevention Strategies. My name's Craig Barfoot, and thanks a lot for listening to this interview. Listener.